Hello, and welcome to Co-op Cast. This week, Steve and Elijah will catch up on some reviews and get you all the co-op news. Welcome to Co-op Cast. My name is Steve. And I'm Elijah. And in this week's episode, we'll be covering some news and doing a review of Black Sonata. So recently, Elijah and I have been playing quite a few games together. So let's jump into a little bit of what we've been up to. Start off by talking about Firefly. So recently we sat down to play Firefly Adventures. This is the Brigands and Browncoats game. This is a fully cooperative game set in the Firefly universe. So you're playing as the crew of the Firefly doing a tactical adventure, running around different landscapes with these 3D buildings and interacting with uh, cowboys and thugs. I had a lot of fun, Steve. Um, admittedly, everyone get out your pitchforks and torches. I have not seen the entire Firefly series, so you can go ahead and roast me at the stake now. But um, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I have watched several of the episodes, and um, so I had a great time playing, actually. It was a lot of fun. In related news, I'm looking for a new co-host who's seen Firefly, <laughs> so if you're interested, reach out to just kidding. <laughs> Yes. What's yeah. that, Steve? You're breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I love that show. It's one of my favorite t- uh, sci-fi TV shows. Yeah, so be on the lookout for us covering that game in the future. We also played Fallout by Fantasy Flight Games and had a great time roaming around the post-apocalyptic world and having adventures. With this recent playthrough, we did play the co-op expansion, is that right? Correct. So if you're not familiar with the game, it came out to be a competitive race game, essentially. But with the recent expansion, they went back and turned the scenarios into a fully co-op experience. So now you can play the base game scenarios and new scenario as fully cooperative. This is kind of similar to what Unbreakable Bonds did to Runebound, if you're familiar with those games. So yeah, and I enjoyed our playthrough, and so be on the lookout for a review of that in the near future as well. I have another game I'll briefly mention. I was at Elijah's house and we were playing Maximum Apocalypse when the doorbell rang and he had a game arrive on the spot and that game was Conflict of Heroes. If you're not familiar with this game, this is a tactical war game in World War II. And when we finished our Maximum Apocalypse game, we decided to break out that rulebook and try to work through how to manage the system. This was a, if you're not familiar with war games, they tend to be pretty heavy, lots of charts and pieces and components and details and... So it was kind of fun to try to figure out how to play this game together out of the box. Yeah, I'll admit, uh, I was typically I've been put off by war games just because of the rulebook complexity. Um, but you know, with rulebook master here, Steve in the house, <laughs> it was uh, ended up being no problem for us to kind of dive in and and get everything kind of figured out so we could play it. I did scoop a rule, of course, when I speed read rules. So how <laughs> I, dare you? <laughs> I know. As other people who have been to Gen Con with me will realize that when I speed read rules, I tend to miss something for sure. So, but anyway, I'm not too disappointed that we were able to make it through that rulebook and actually get a game played so it was actually really really fun i enjoyed it more than i expected enough about recent events let's jump into the news first thing i'll talk about is a tiny epic game this game is tiny epic tactics if you're not familiar with tiny epic games they all come in the same size box and they try to pack as much content in that box as possible and they honestly have quite a variety of themes in the past we've talked about tiny epic zombies you've probably heard that one and another cooperative one they can have is a tiny epic defenders all these games are soloable, and this new one, Tiny Epic Tactics, not only has solo, it's pr- probably primarily competitive, but it also has cooperative modes as well. 
So one cool thing about this game is the box comes with these 3D buildings and hills com components, and they're essentially just covers of other boxes. So what you do is you lay out this scroll, which is the, the map area, and then you'll take these boxes and flip them upside down and stack them on top of each other to create this three-dimensional world. And you'll be moving fancy characters throughout this world to achieve different goals. If you're playing competitive, it's really a tactical control point game where you're trying to take over three different control points to win the game while beating up your opponents. But for co-op, it turns into an adventure where you'll be running around the board trying to go into dungeons and killing a boss to get loot. It gives me the whole Minecraft vibe when I look at it, Steve. I don't know about you, but it looks really cool. I love the colors and the vibrancy. Definitely a different mechanic that Gameline is taking with this direction. So it'll be interesting to see how the game plays out. I'm really curious how everything's going to fit back in the box. Now, I, I know they say that the components will fit back in the box as is now, but I have a tendency to sleeve my sleeve my games. <laughs> so more more than I'd like to admit. And I don't know if I sleeve these cards if everything fit back in the box. I'm curious about that. Looking at the animation of how the box gets packed, it looks like there is room for sleeve cards, but you never really know until you get it. So, But regardless, it does have a really cool table presence, and I'm looking forward to this one. This is one I personally back. And that game is Tiny Epic Tactics. It's currently funded, and the campaign will end March 7th. The next game we'll talk about on Kickstarter is Shadows of Brimstone Adventures. If you aren't familiar with Shadows of Brimstone, the original game was created by Flying Frog Productions. And this one is an expansion to that, but with a different theme. The original theme was Wild West theme, where you enter a, a mine shaft or a cave, and there are portals to other dimensions and creatures of all sorts of horrors coming out. So a little bit of maybe Cthulhu-ish or Lovecraftian nature in that sense. But in Shadows of Brimstone Adventures, there are two standalone sets where you can get Gates of Valhalla, which is Vikings, of course, and Valley of the Serpent Kings, which is kind of a colonial setting. So these will mix into the existing Shadows of Brimstone game, or you can play them separately as well. And the basic gameplay is you choose a hero, you're moving around this map and board, you're leveling up. It's basically just an RPG in a box with a lot of different miniatures and characters you have to construct. And this is one that you can play as a campaign as well, if you want to have your character persist between games. So that game is Shadows of Brimstone Adventures. It's currently funded and will end March 9th. And the last game we'll talk about is Shadows of Killforth, a fantasy quest game. So this may sound a little familiar to our viewers of One Stop Co-op Shop, because Colin played a game called Gloom of Killforth. And this game is the standalone expansion for that series. So... You can buy this to play on its own, or if you want, combine it with Gloom of Killforth for an epic adventure. If you're interested in this game, I highly recommend going on Colin's channel and watching his playthrough of Gloom of Killforth. So in this game, you choose a hero combined with a different class. So you, the combination of the hero and class will provide your starting stats. To... So in this game, you pick a hero and choose a class for that hero. And the combination of the hero and class will choose your starting characteristics. And you'll be going through this map, which is created by a deck of cards. So it'll be kind of random every time you play it, with the location show up. And going to these locations, doing adventures, uh, meeting with characters, and achieving goals. At the end of the scenario, you'll be taking on an ancient or a boss guy. If you can defeat that, you win the game. While you're doing this, the gloom or shadows in this game will be trying to take over the land. So each of these locations are double-sided. And as evil takes hold of the world you'll flip these cards over for negative effects so as you play the game the the world will start getting corrupted 
So you need to try to defeat the boss before they can rule the world. Yeah, so Steve, this is actually a game that I'm backing. I originally passed on the Gloom of Killforth and decided instead to, um, I think at that time I purchased Runebound or um, the Arkham Horror card game. I don't know, but that this game has always come up in BGG and sort of, you know, things to look at and play. And now with the Shadows of Killforth, I just love the artwork a lot. It just looks interesting. I'm okay with sort of abstract locations and kind of that thematic feel of roaming around the world using cards and iconography to represent uh, sort of your tales as you travel around and, and work um, and, and complete quests and encounters and things. So I actually backed it and looking forward to playing it with you and um, we'll, uh, we'll see what it's like. So I'm also a fan of the artwork and I love that it's solo capable, um, but also there is the ability to play co-op. So it looks really cool. I have to jump on the artwork. The artwork in this game is phenomenal. Just scrolling through the campaign page and seeing all the the detail and the art they do in this, looks it's just an amazing game. Absolutely beautiful. And I'll, it's worth mentioning too that this setting, Shadows of Killforth, is a slightly different setting than Gloom of Killforth. So Shadows of Killforth is an Asian themed game. So you have Nanchaku temples and Onis to battle as opposed to Gloom of Killforth, which is your standard fancy theme with knights and castles. But yeah, this game looks awesome. I look forward to playing it in the future. And that game was Shadows of Killforth. It is currently pledged, and the campaign will end March 31st. With that said, let's move on to a review of Black Sonata. Sonata is actually a solo game and plays about 30 minutes. It is a hidden movement deduction game set in historical London. So the theme is you're trying to discover the Dark Lady, which is a reference found in Shakespeare's sonnets. The game comes with a board depicting London. It has 12 cards, which are the Dark Lady cards. So you have a variety of different Dark Ladies you try to discover. It also comes with 32 stealth cards, which control the movement of the Dark Lady. So this is how the Dark Lady can move without another player. We have some location keys, and these correspond to the locations on the board. And you'll be using these to help determine if the Dark Lady is there at that location or not. And you have what they're calling fog cards, which are what you use to keep track of your guesses in the game. And you have a round marker card. Keep track of how many rounds you have in the game, and then a player pawn and some various tokens as well. So how do you win at Black Sonata? You are trying to discover who is the Dark Lady. This is determined, again, as Steve mentioned, by the deck. You pull one randomly, and that is who you're trying to uncover. And the way you win is by determining the three characteristics of the Dark Lady. And so essentially what you're trying to do is roam around, follow her around, and catch her, which then allows you to reveal a Dark Lady card, which has clues on it of these characteristics that represent the dark lady you're hunting. And so the goal is to gather enough clues to determine and catch the dark lady. So how do you lose? At any time during the game, if you've caught the black lady, and you, that which, which means you're at her location, you can guess the th three characteristics. And of course you would have done this, right, by gathering the clues. If you guess incorrectly, you lose the game. Another way to lose is if you run out of the stealth deck. So this stealth deck represents her movement around London, and there is a countdown card in that deck that represents how many times you've gone through it. So for example, it'll start on two, and once you've gone through that deck, you'll flip it to one, and once it goes through again, it'll get to zero. And so if you've run through the movement um, the three times, then you will lose. Um, another way to lose is there is this fog deck that Steve had mentioned. And every time you say, hey, I think she's here, so you're guessing where she is, um, you basically pull a card from this fog deck, and then you'll check the location you're at to see if she's there. 
you can run out of cards in this fog deck and that would be another way to lose. And then the last way to lose is if you're unable to complete an event on the fog card. And so um, the fog cards, as they get put into the deck, as she's moving around, one of the things you can actually do is reveal that. And um, if you can not complete an event, you would lose the game. So how does a basic turn structure work? It's pretty simple in that the first thing you do is reveal the next stealth card, which shows a symbol of where the Dark Lady moved to. So you may see something like a house and flip a card and see a tree. So you know she moved from a house location to tree locations, and there could be multiple options for that on the board. And so by watching these movements, hopefully you can discern where she's going. And then after she moves hiddenly on the board, you can perform one action. Action you can do is simply move, move to an adjacent location. You can search your location, which is what Elijah described earlier. So you can, if you think she's at your location, you can grab a fog card and do this system to flip over the cards and see if she's there. Or if a fog card's on top of the deck, which means you spent a clue at that location already, you can turn the fog card over to do a random event. The game continues with you alternating with her moving and you doing one action until you reach a win or loss condition. So that should provide a basic overview of how the game's played. Let's jump into our review. So if this is your first time listening, Elijah and I have gathered the top five things we think you need to know about this game. So we'll start with our number five and work our way all the way to our number one. And along the way, we'll talk about if these things are pros or cons in our minds. With that said, Elijah, why don't you start with your number five? Uh, my number five is actually, this was a tough one, Steve. Uh, it is my five, so it's the lowest ranked uh, as far as weight of my items here. It's the theme. So I really, and this is actually a con for me, I like the theme of Shakespeare. You know, I'm not a huge English um, literature fan, but what caught my eye about this game was actually the mechanics. And so I'm okay with the theme and it's kind of um, fun, but I personally feel that the theme is a little weak as far as how it could be, uh, how do I want to say this? Not presented, but just the appeal maybe sure. uh, to people. So, you know, the, the audience, I think, for board gamers is a small subset of the population. And from there, we have even a smaller subset that might like the sort of Shakespearean universe. And I think personally, um, if you saw this game on the shelf, you might pass it up. And I think you and I were talking a little bit about this. Now, having said that, the theme comes through pretty strong in this game as far as um, there is actually a secondary book included in the game that explains the London locations and the women that you're sort of uh, that are in the game. And so the theme is, I think, as strong as it could be in the game. But kind of being an abstract game and sort of more of a hidden movement game, I guess I would have liked to have seen a different theme personally. I don't know how you feel about that, Steve. I'm going to jump into my number five right now, which is actually also theme. But my number five is actually a pro. And so I'm going to, I'm going to agree a little bit with what you already said. And that I think this theme is going to make it a hard, a hard sell for people. Because it's kind of literature-based. And I don't think people are aware of the dark lady references to the Shakespeare sonnets. I, for one, had no idea what that was about until I read into it more. But I will list this as a pro just because I feel like in the board game community, we have a ton of fantasy games, a ton of games trading the Mediterranean, a ton of zombie games. And I approve of designers going out and finding unique themes to attribute to their games. And while I agree with you, Elijah, that this one, you could probably retheme it. 
in different ways, maybe make a fantasy theme and still make the mechanics work with that theme. But I think the designer did a good job of researching what the Dark Ladies could be and associating characteristics to the real potentials of these Dark Ladies. Yeah, like I said, there's a secondary book, right, that it details the locations of London and the women and how they were involved potentially with Shakespeare, right? Correct. And so reading that book really helped understand how these design decisions were made for the characteristics of the Dark Ladies, for example. And I found that kind of a fascinating read. It's something I just didn't know anything about. And it was really nice that he included that in the board game to help link the theme to the mechanics when you're playing this game. Yeah, and I should be clear. So the theme in the game is as strong as it can be given the nature. But for me personally, like I said, I'm just not a big Shakespeare fan or English literature. It works really, really well in this game, but I can see it being off-putting. So again, if you saw it on the shelf, I don't know that many people are going to kind of just, eh, what is this? Unless you had, unless you knew about the game in advance or you were really a fan of sort of plays and theater and Shakespeare and stuff or history, possibly that. So, And for me, this is a personal thing. Like I said, I, I enjoy the game and we'll get into it more in my review. But for me personally, um, I just don't care for the theme as much. Uh, but it does come through and it was implemented very well. And I do appreciate, Steve, like you had said, I think fantasy, sci-fi, horror are very overrepresented in board gaming. And so it is actually kind of refreshing to see something different. So despite Elijah and I both listing theme as our number five and me listing mine as a pro and he listing his as a con, I think we're mostly in agreement here with the points being made that, yes, the theme is not really going to be a strong seller, but being unique is has its merits as well. And it's it's well done for what it is. I like I liked it. So. so with that said, I think I'll jump into my number four then. My number four is a con, and that's going to be the stealth deck setup. So to play this game, you have a deck of 32 cards. And on one side of the card, you have an icon, and there's always one icon. And this icon is also on a number of locations on the London board. And there's always multiple locations with this icon. So it could be something like an icon of coins, which means it's a commercial location. Or an icon where of a house, and that means it's one of Shakespeare's residences, for example. And so how the game works is you, you will be flipping through these cards. You take the top card of the deck and flipping to the bottom of the deck. You'll only see the icons. So if you see a coin and then you see a house, you know the Dark Lady moved from a coin location to a house location. Cool. You flip the next card. Then you move from house location to a, a church location. Cool. And so this is how they're going to be moving around. You can use the process of elimination to try to determine her location. Now the issue here is on the other side of it, you have a ribbon on the top of the card and the bottom of the card with various letters or dashes. And so you have essentially four letters on top and four letters on the bottom combined to eight letters total or spaces total. And so you'll be going through this whole 32 decks of cards and looking at one position of that ribbon and looking for the A. And then you look through, look for the B and go, go so on and so forth until you go through the whole alphabet down to Z. And that order of cards is the movement of the hidden lady or the dark lady. And so that's how you set up the movement of her, of her. And you can cut this deck any number of times to have her start at a random loca starting location within that movement. And it works well mechanically as you plan the game. But to set up the game, it's kind of a pain to go through this 32 cards. I mean, it's not a huge deal. That's why it's my number four, not higher. But it's just a little bit annoying to go through it. So Steve and I have this uncanny knack where um, we tend to have very similar things in categories as our previous listeners would know. And this is no exception. My number four is setup. It is. <laughs> yep. 
Yep, I don't know what are the odds of that, Steve. I guess great minds think alike. So essentially, I'm gonna agree with everything you just said. Um, setup is quick, but tedious. And so this is a game that's great. I think it's the nature of the game, the hidden movement and sort of um, solo. As Steve mentioned, you have that stealth deck, which you need to pick a track, as it were. It's sort of first step is eliminating all cards from this deck that don't meet the criteria. And then the next step is alphabetizing them. So it's just a tad tedious. Um, it's not game breaking, not end of the world, but um, it kind of sucks. So not a big deal. Hence, it's my number four con. Setup is quick but tedious. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into my number three. It is the value for the price that you pay and the components and the experience. And this is a Stop pro. it. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it now. <laughs> wow. So, Mike, if you have anything to say, go ahead and put it in Slack so we can... Uh... <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so for me, the value, you know, this is a very inexpensive game. The box, the components, the production quality is very high. The experience and the fun that you have while you play this is just amazing. So this is something you could bring to a hotel. You can bring it on travel travels. Uh, I think it would be a fun game to maybe bring to the holidays and have some family members sit down. And, and you can, you actually can kind of play it co-op. So you there's right one person sort of organizing everything, but you can all kind of play together as far as where the Dark Lady's moving and sort of what the guesses are. And you can definitely work on the deduction of the characteristics together. So for me, that's a number three pro. It is the value for the price components and the experience is just amazing. <laughs> yeah, my number three is components. I list it as a pro as well. <laughs> so nice. I, apparently we're in sync on this review for whatever reason. So <laughs> I'll just elaborate to what Elijah said. The box is really sturdy. It's a nice size. The board is great quality there. The cards, really nice linen finish. The tokens themselves are wood with a really nice printing on them. Everything's clear. The cards themselves, uh, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is the location cards. Actually, have a hole punched out. And so the cool thing about this game is if you think the Dark Lady is at a location, you will take the stealth deck and take your location that you think she's at and tuck it under on the bottom of it so the stealth card goes on top of the location. And you flip, hold these together and flip them upside down. And you'd be looking through that hole to see if you see the a face of the Dark Lady on the other side of the card. And just the production trying to get that to line up, what, what is probably pretty difficult to do, I'd imagine. So yeah, the whole thing just works really well together, especially for the price. I mean, for the Kickstarter, it was only 24 bucks. I don't know what the price if this is going to be at MSRP. You will be able to buy this from Side Room Games sometime in the future. I just don't know what the price is. So yeah, definitely. Everything Elijah said, I agree with. And just kind of a side comment here, I want to say that uh, Side Room Games handled the Kickstarter perfectly. So everything was communicated, no disruptions in shipping or delays. And it was just, I was very ple uh, pleased with the Kickstarter campaign. Okay, I'll jump into my number two, which is probably Elijah's number two as well. Just judging by how we're <laughs> going here. Um, my number two was a pro, and that was replayability. I'm pausing to see if Elijah's uh, number two is No. <gasps> Close. Okay. Okay. So we do have a difference in our list. Okay. Yes. Yes. So I thought the replayability was actually quite good in this game. So like I said earlier, the stealth deck has eight tracks on the back of it. And each track, you can cut the deck randomly and choose where she's going to start in that track. Not to mention that the four of the tracks, she will always be moving. And the other four tracks, she may or may not move once she's at a location. And so being able to choose that and choose the random location where she is really adds to replayability. 
On top of that, we even have in the back of the rulebook more tracks you can set up. So while these won't be alphabetized, he has a way of going through that deck and, and organizing so you have more ma uh, motion paths to add if you do get tired of seeing the ones, the eight ones included on, in the card decks. The Dark Lady is 12 of them, and I feel like that's a good amount of replay as well. I haven't had any issues with it. I will have one caveat, though, that I think if you do play this game back-to-back, -back, you may run into an issue if you don't change up the, the scenario a little bit. So, for example, when I was playing it back-to-back, -back, I decided to not change the path she was on, and I started remembering, oh, yeah, I remember when she's over in this general location, she did this kind of movement or stayed in this spot a little bit longer. And so that started started coming to my mind a little bit. So as long as you change up that movement between plays, I think you'd be okay. Or if you don't play this game a ton in a row and wind up trying to memorize things, you're probably okay too. In addition, you could try to memorize the characteristics on the Dark Lady cards and that would ruin the game as well. But if you're not trying to memorize this stuff, I really don't think it's going to happen naturally. I think you would have to actually be mapping things out on paper or trying to memorize it to ruin the experience. So that's my number two. I think replayability is really good. I would agree with you. Um, <clears throat> I think there is a lot of game in the box with the way that the stealth decks are combined, the fog cards, um, the dark lady cards, and um, I would agree. There's a lot, lot of gameplay in the box. My number two is actually a con, and it's just from my personal experience is I think your experience can vary depending on your draws. So by draws, I mean the draws of the cards um, for the Dark Lady cards. And I don't want to call this game swingy because it's not. I don't know quite what I'm looking for, but um, I've actually played twice now where when I've discovered where the Dark Lady is, right? So she's at my location and I discover her there and I draw a clue card from the Dark Lady deck and I get some information about her characteristics I actually had one game where I only had positives, so it's definitely one of these. It's definitely one of these. It's one of these, one of these, one of these. And so I had no negatives, so I had no way to know what it's not. And, you know, again, that's just the nature, I think, of the cards and shuffling, but it was literally impossible to know because I only had things of what it could be, and it was only one. And so I, to me, that was a really bad game. Um, ended up losing... And it would have been nice to see a negative or some sort of combo. So kind of on these clue cards, for example, it'll have three characteristics. And you'll have the a clue for the sort of suit of the Dark Lady that you're playing. And it'll say zero or two. So that means either none of the characteristics match or it two of them for sure match. And so what happens is, you know, I drew a card that was one of these matches and one of these matches and one of these matches. And so I had no negative and it was just... With all the clues I had, seven, it was just impossible to sort of guess. So that actually, to me, I think your experience could vary depending on the draws. Having said that, sort of luck-based. So I don't know, Steve, what do you think here? So I personally haven't run into that situation, so I'm going to disagree a little bit on that. Uh, I, but to your point, I think that is a factor of the difficulty. So in this game, you can choose to remove clue cards from the game that will make the game easier or harder, depending on which clue cards you remove. And so that's getting to, I think, what you're trying to get at, Elijah. It's definitely easier if you get those clue cards to say, hey, two of these icons are correct, or zero or two of these icons are correct, as opposed to one of these icons is correct, which is basically the rest of the situations. 
And so you, if you have the one of the icons is correct, you definitely have to get more clue cards to help discern what the answer actually is. I haven't had a problem trying to discern what the characteristics are, even with those one clue cards. But mm. I, I do think what you're getting at, the difficulty can be a little swinging in that regards, uh, but nothing that would be a major f issue in my opinion. Okay. So for me, yeah, it's, I don't know, it was my number two con and that could just be my experience over having played it recently and, and encountering that. It was just like, man, and as Steve mentioned, you can adjust the difficulty in the game. Uh, I don't. We've always just played stock straight up and um, I've not increased the difficulty, but for me, it just felt a little bit frustrating and it could be perhaps I'm not a very good uh, clue guesser of characteristics and logic deduction and I'm more of a you know, let me fuel up the van and blow away some zombies type of guy. But um, that was kind of, for me, it was my number two. Now, again, your experience is going to vary. Um, you can tailor the game to suit your needs um, through a, several different mechanics. So, uh, and with that said, I'm actually going to jump into my number one. It is a pro and it's the hidden movement mechanic. Yep. So and we're back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think anybody who plays this game probably would agree that that is the number one pro of this game. So. Agreed. It is so well done. The hunt, the way that she moves around, the uh, the dark lady moves around London and sort of like closing in on her. It's just super, super fun and amazing. Like I stand back and sort of look at this game and I'm just thinking mechanically, how did you think of this? So again, I'm not a game designer, but it's just uh, so awesome with the deck and the tracks and the way she moves. And then when you right, and we've done this actually, so she can go two different ways. So, for example, say she's at a, a cross location. Um, the deck, right, you would reveal the next card. And, for instance, she goes to a pub. So, what happens is from the cross location, there's two pubs. And so, I was at a pub location. And so, now we don't know which pub she went to, right? But it went one of two ways. And so, essentially, she, there, I have a 50-50 chance that she was at my location. And so, I'm like, do I risk it? Do I feel she came to my location or not? And... I'm like, you know what? I'm going to chance it. And when I guess and I flip over that card and her picture is in that little window punch out in the card, it's just like so satisfying and so fun. So that that's just, it's so awesome. Hidden movement is just, the hunt, it's just awesome, Steve. I couldn't agree with you more on this one. This is definitely the number one aspect of this game. It is absolutely brilliant. I had the same experience when I played this game where I sat back and thinking like, how did the designer come up with this mechanic, this mechanism? It works so well. And especially since for something that doesn't require an app, like historically, I would guess that in order to hit movement that you could play solo or co-op, you would need an app. But no, he does with cards and it's fun and it works well. The whole aspect of cutting out or have that hole punch out where you peek through a card to look on the back of another card is brilliant. It reminds me a little bit of a game reviewed uh, recently that was Nemesis where you had the contamination card and you, you stuck him inside this viewfinder to see what was in there. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of that same, you know, basic concept of sticking a card behind something else to try to review certain information. So, I don't know. Big fan of this. It's really fun to try and limit her positions. And, and like the example you gave, Elijah, she's in one of two locations. And you peek and, cool, you find her. That's it's really exciting. But if you don't find her, then you know exactly where she is. And now you can maybe start the hunt again to try to corner her. And how the game works where you can only take one action. You can't move and search you are spending time where you may not move at all. You may just want to stay in your position to hope through that she moves to you and trying to figure out where she may be heading to cut her off 
really adds to the game too. It's just so awesome. It it really makes this game so unique and unlike anything else. Uh, it's it's just great. Well, as I gotta say, so Steve, what is your number one uh, pro actually? What did you have listed? My what I listed exactly was hidden movement as well. That was a pro. So <laughs> I, apparently, we're totally in sync with Moses' list today. Nice. So. <laughs> but uh, like you said before, I think anybody who plays this game would probably list that as their number one anyway, just because it's so unique, so well done, and then it's the the crux of the game. It's really what holds the game up. So. And it's just so brilliant. So kudos to the designer. I mean, it's just amazing. Well implemented. Uh, The whole package, the whole game is just really fun, really cool. Okay, now with that said, let's jump into our final thoughts. You want to start, Elijah? Sure. So my personal opinion of this game, my final thoughts is it's awesome. I would not hesitate to uh, buy it again for what you're getting in the box. Um, It's a fun little unique hidden movement. There's some setup is a little tedious. It's not the end of the world, um, just a couple minutes, and, and um, but sitting down and playing is so fun, and, and it's satisfying. You can adjust the difficulty. The theme is okay. I mean, I'm okay with uh, Shakespeare, uh, you know, and medieval sort of theme. It's not my favorite, uh, but it's great. I love it. You know, I won't be trading it away for sure. So my final thoughts are be the same. This is definitely recommended for me as well. I will say uh, deduction, deduction, deduction. You have to like deduction to, to be like this game. Definitely. Because not only are you trying to deduce where the Dark Lady is on this map of London, you're also trying to deduce her characteristics. And you need both those to win the game. And that's really what the game is. There's not much more outside the game than that. So if you don't like deduction, definitely avoid this. Uh, This game is great solo. It's designed solo. I have played it co-op. When I say co-op, I mean two players with my wife. It works fine with two players. You know, there's, there's enough to talk about and bounce some ideas around. We're like, okay, I think she's here. She might have moved here. Where do you think she's going? Or you can actually deduce the characteristics together. With three players, I would not play that. I mean, granted, this is not being advertised any more than a solo game. I would not share the load with three players. because I don't think there's enough quote-unquote load to share in that regard. You, I think people would be bored in that sense. But yeah, for the price you pay... The absolutely brilliant mechanisms in this game. It feels very unique than any other game in my collection. This one's staying in my collection. I'm keeping it for sure. So that's going to end our episode. If you have any news or upcoming games you'd like us to discuss, email us at onestopcoopshop at gmail.com or reach out to us on Slack. I'll put a link to join our Slack in the show notes to this episode. And join us next week when Mike and Peter cover another game followed by a design discussion. And we'll see you at the next stop. Happy gaming. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop, and follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-OpCast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Have you seen Wayne's World? I don't know if you remember. Yes, of course. Uh, it says, I'm Wayne, and with me is Garth. <laughs> That's what I thought of when... <laughs> I'm Steve, and with me is Garth. I mean, Elijah. <laughs> Excellent. If you're not familiar with Shadows of Brimstone... Is created by Flying Frog Productions, and the theme is Wild West, 
with a mix of horror. So you are playing as cowboys and other characters from the Wild West entering in a cave that may open up worlds, open up portals. Did you say Frying Frog Productions? Frying Frog, maybe. <laughs> maybe the Okay, scratch that. Let's do this again. <laughs> frying Frog sounds good. Frying Frogs <laughs> Productions. <laughs> oh, man. Wait.